Welcome to Love Bites. Love Bites. Love Bites. By Dr. Tara, your destination for sexual wellness and mindful relationship advice. Hope you're having an orgasmic day. Do you want to become sexually powerful? If the answer is yes, go to lovebites.co and check out 30 Days to My Best Sexy Self, a Sexual Mindfulness Journal. This ebook will change your life. In this sexual mindfulness journal, I offer the tried and true methods to become more sexually confident. It's for everyone who wants to have the best sex life possible. What stops you from having a great sex life? The kind of sex life you really want. Are you or your lover a pleasure pessimist? We're going to find out today. Hello, my loves. It's Dr. Tara, your favorite sex and relationship expert here at Love Bites, the podcast for sexual wellness and exploration. Today with us, we have a wonderful guest, Yana Talon-Hicks. She's a certified sex and couples therapist and a consent sex and sexuality writer and educator living in Western Massachusetts. She's the author of this really awesome book called Hot and Unbothered. How to think about, talk about, and have the sex you really want. Yana, I'm so excited for our chat today. Me too. <laughs> so tell us a little bit, a little bit more about you and what you do like in your daily life. Sure. Um, so like you said, I'm a consent and sex educator. I'm also a sex therapist. So on a weekly basis, I probably see like 15 or 20 clients. Um, mm. they They are all tackling issues related to sex and sexuality. I see a lot of LGBTQ clients. I see a lot of kinky identified clients and a lot of non-monogamous clients. Um, So it was really important to me to include all that diversity of clientele in the book and in the case examples and all that stuff. Um, But when I'm not seeing clients these days, I'm doing podcast recordings. I do a lot of writing. And I also parent. I'm a co-parent of a three-year-old. So that takes up a lot of time and energy. And that's yeah. pretty much my day-to-day right now. Okay. I don't have kids, but you passed a terrible too, right? I heard yes. about that. About where well, like, so they just run everywhere. I think so. People are always like the terrible twos. And then people are like three nagers. So he's oh, three there's <laughs> They're like three nagers. But to me, infancy was the worst. Mm. I love toddlerhood. It's really fun. I'm having a good time. Oh, cute. That's uh, encouraging. Yeah. Um, But he has his opinion. He has his opinion. Okay. I know we were just (laughs) talking about toddlers, but I want to ask a question about kings. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I'm natural. (laughs) Yeah. As a sex therapist who also has a toddler, moving between parenting conversations to king conversations is something I'm very good at. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You're like, you're like d- taking care of your baby and then you're like turn around and your your uh client's like, so I love eating shit and, je- and ma- <laughs> masturbating. <What does> it <laughs> so uh, I did like this TikTok live with a true crime uh, influencer. Oh, cool. <laughs> so on her TikTok, like she, I mean, she has like millions of followers and it's all true crime stuff. And one of the true crime was this guy who's into, I, I guess it's a copophagia, like into eating like feces okay we're dealing with feces and and like masturbating and pleasuring himself 
Is this something you've ever seen in real life? Because I feel like it's such a small number. There isn't like a person that I can know in here. Oh, maybe they don't tell me. I don't know. Who's <laughs> <laughs> into that? Like, have you seen that? I was going to say, I haven't personally witnessed that, but I <laughs> well, have. I mean, like a client. A client. <laughs> I'm definitely. I'm like, Does your partner or any of your partners do this? But, <laughs> like, I mean, your clients, have you, like, is this, Uh, is this a thing? I mean, I think that like body, what am I trying to like body fluids and body yeah. excrements and body, what bodies do are like frequently eroticized, mm-hmm. right? So people that are into like ejaculation, I feel like is more common and accepted than being into poop mm-hmm. because of like Play where it is. Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, so like where it is on the spectrum of like, what is considered like good growth and like mm. bad growth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's this really great episode of the risk podcast that I was just talking about the other day. Um, that is all about a dynamic between two men that is like this deep sort of like dom sub kink dynamic where eventually mm-hmm. one of them poops in the other one's mouth. Mm-hmm. And the podcast itself, it's really interesting because the story is very much about their level of trust and communication in their dynamic. And it's actually very sweet, mm. which I feel like people don't, wouldn't associate pooping in somebody's mouth as something mm. like tender and sweet, <laughs> you know? But I love hearing it. I love hearing yeah, it. Yeah, it's interesting. Way more than the true crime one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's definitely like, I think that just like everybody is capable of everything. Like people are doing all kinds of stuff, whether we talk about it or not is a different story. Wow. That is its own IG reel right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, I want to get started with the questions, shall we? Okay. okay. That was a good start. Yeah. Talking was... <laughs> about poop right off the bat. That's good. Yeah. My icebreaker. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so in your book, I think you address this quite a lot, but I want you to talk about what are some of the common barriers that people have um, from having the sex life that they really want? Because, you know, in the intro of this show, I was like, what stops you from having a great sex life? So I want yeah. you to tell me what, what are some of the common barriers? Yeah, I think that there's so many reasons why people feel like they can't have the kind of sex they really want to have, which is essentially the drive of the book. Um, when I work with people, it has a lot to do with socially, how are we conditioned to think about sex and the kind of sex we deserve or are able to have. I think a lot of people feel blocked by communication barriers. They're not sure how to ask for what they want or how to talk about things that they want that maybe their partner doesn't want or that they think their partner doesn't want. I think that embedded in those communication issues are a lot of kind of attachment wounds. Like how do you experience rejection? How is, how is fear of disconnection from your partner playing a role? And your partner could be someone you just met that you really want to have sex with, or it could be someone you've been seeing for 10 years or whatever. We all sort of have this like biologically driven need to connect to people. And I think sex and sexuality and romance and desirability and desire are all parts of how we foster that connection. So I think when we're thinking about asking for the types of sex we want, all those biological fears can come to the surface in ways that we weren't even expecting. So I think a lot of it is like shame, guilt, attachment fears, 
socially, how we're conditioned, and then just the nitty gritty of how do we communicate? And also, what do I even want? Yeah, yeah. Not knowing. I think uh, the lack of self-knowledge is pretty clear because I, I often I often say like I feel like all of us are adults, but uh, most of us are only five years old when it comes to sexual competence. Mm. Where are we? What are we? We we stumbled upon all kinds of personal experiences, but we never really had like a comprehensive sex education um, or even uh, sexual communication competency, like anything like that. So I wanted to ask about the shame piece uh, because, you know, I hear that a lot of people experience shame and I mean myself included, um, but I want to ask you what what are the like manifestations of shame? Like, what does it look like, uh, hmm. sound like when someone is experiencing shame when it comes to their sexuality? Yeah, I think sometimes clients are able to come in and say, I have a lot of shame around this and it blocks me from being able to show up in my sexual relationship in the way that I want to. I think other times shame shows up in ways that are very sneaky a lot of the time, shame really thrives in silence. So if you have something that you feel like you desire and like, like going back to the poop thing, right? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> oh no, it's going to be a running theme. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, let's say that this is like my deep set desire yeah. and that it's very culturally acceptable to be like, ew, poop things, right? right? As like on the spectrum of like, that's a fetish that I would never do. Or like, it's common to be like, eh, whatever. But let's say that's something that I'm really into. How scary is it going to be for me to bring that up to somebody when I'm working against all of these like repeated messages that what I want is gross or whatever. Right. And that can happen on a range of things. It could be anything. Right. But it's sort of like people tend to internalize shame as something that's about them. Like I'm messed up. I'm gross. I'm perverted. I'm not okay. Versus looking at this on like a systemic level of like, how did you come to think this about this thing? Mm -hmm. Is it true? Will your partner be receptive or not receptive? How will you find that out if you don't talk about it? Mm -hmm. And I think that the silence part of shame can really fester. Mm -hmm. So sometimes with clients, we're working on like pulling apart that shame to make it less about something that resides within you and more something that's been externally influenced. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're working on just purely identifying, is this shame or is this true? Mm. What does that mean? Like... Like, I think people will take things for, not for granted, but the people will assume that something is a permanent facet of who they are. Mm -hmm. Like, I just can't, like, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I mean, this might go into something that we might talk about later, but let's just say, like, I am a low desire person and my partner's a high desire person. And that's just the way it is. I'm like, there's nothing we can do. I hear that a lot. Yeah. It's so I mean, common. It's so, it's the most common mm -hmm. um, with couples. Uh, I would say that's like the number one problem mm -hmm. uh, is that people are so fixed in their ways. Right. Like, this is just the way we are. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a lot of women um, saying that, yeah, I just have a low sex drive. I'm just a person with a low sex drive. Mm -hmm. Is this a thing? Is this real? Yeah. And I think that's the question, right? Like, I don't ever want to tell somebody like, what you think about yourself is fake. Like, mm -hmm. that, you know, I don't want to invalidate somebody's identity in that way. Like, let's say someone's like, I'm asexual. I'm not going to be like, no, you're not. 
right. you know, because asexual is like point, is it 0.5% of the population, right? I don't know the exact yeah, numbers, I, but I was pretty shocked. Like, oh, 0.5% of the population. That's a, mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. I also think asexuality, like not to go on a big tangent, but asexuality, I think is being more understood as like a spectrum of asexuality rather than like, I am asexual, like yeah. the end. Yeah. Um, but you know, if somebody comes in and is like, I have a low desire and I want to explore that, or I want to have a less low desire, mm-hmm. then we have an opportunity to sort of look at what are the factors that are influencing desire? What is constitutes a low desire anyway? Like who's creating the scale of low to high? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like what, where did this come from? Yeah. And does that matter as much as it matters that this is a dynamic between you and your partner? Mm-hmm. And how can we, there's a concept in the book that is a narrative therapy concept that I don't know, maybe you use it with people called externalizing the problem. And that looks at how do we take the cycle that's happening between you and your partner, externalize it and talk about it as a third entity rather than as something that lives within you. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying like, I just don't have a good sex drive, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem like something that I can change. It feels like that's a permanent trait of who I am and I've admitted defeat, right? Rather than in our relationship, our sex drives do not match up in the way that we would like them to. How do we want to manage this issue? And like, how does this issue make us feel? How does this issue impact our relationship? Mm-hmm. What other things in our relationship or in our lives have contributed to this issue? Mm-hmm. That looks at the issue like it's outside of you, it's outside of who you are, and it's more adaptable to change. Mm-hmm. And you can get more creative about how to change it. I love that. I love that you said you can get more creative about how to change that. Because I, I, I think people just think sex as in like, okay, like he initiates, I say yes, we walk to the bedroom, we have penetrative sex, I did not come, he came, mm-hmm. and we, that's it. Mm-hmm. And why would I desire that ever? That right. sounds like work. Um, and getting creative and excited about um, different sexual activities, not mm-hmm. necessarily penetration, I feel like has uh, added to my life a lot mm-hmm. uh, without... So shifting my mindset from sex is penetration to sex is everything. Like sex mm-hmm. is being naked together, cooking. Uh, so like it's lots of um, different creative activities that feel sexual to us. Yeah. And I think that's a great point too, right? Like if someone says like, I'm just low desire, it's like, okay, well, low desire for what? Right. You know? Low desire for your partner, maybe. <laughs> right. Or, or maybe you just don't like like maybe PIV penetration isn't something that you are desiring. Like, are you not desiring sex or are you not having sex that you desire? Mm -hmm. And I think those are two different things. Love that. Say it again. (laughs) Are you not desiring sex or are you not having sex that you desire? I love that. I love that because in my re- in my previous relationship, so I was married for a couple of years and I had, I thought I had very low sex drive, mm-hmm. but in fact, I actually did not. I just wasn't desiring sex with this person. Uh, mm-hmm. And I went into a huge like mm, journey, transformation, if you will, uh, personal transformation, because I'm like, I can't live this way. This was Mm -hmm. when I like would sit down in the bathroom crying. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to tell him I didn't want to show him because he would be so concerned. 
because mm. he was a good person. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. he is a good person. He didn't die. <laughs> he kind of died, like from my life. But uh, sure. uh, but it's just like I I didn't desire him, and it was so hard heartbreaking. Yeah, and does it feel someone, like like not desire them? Yeah, and I don't want to like turn the tables too hard. But do you feel like it was like you didn't desire him as a person, or was it that you weren't desiring the dynamic that you had built? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> and you don't have to answer that. Yeah, but that's a good question. That's a good question for all the listener. Like, are you not desiring them or are you not desiring the dynamic you've created with them? Yeah, because sometimes I think like in, you know, this is an issue that I help couples with a lot. And there isn't really like a one size fits all solution, but there's a few <laughs> solutions that you can kind of look at. And so like one of them is like this, like, do you just not desire this person? Like sometimes you're just not attracted to somebody mm-hmm. and like you can't, there's like that unknown quality that you feel it or you don't. And you can't, I don't know how much you can do about that. If you're not attracted to a person and it is because there was something that happened between the two of you, there was a trust rupture. They are behaving in a way that is not okay. Those are things that can change. People can change their behavior. You can repair trust ruptures. You can talk about the type of sex you're having and whether or not you want to do a different type of sex. You can talk about like past traumas that have started influencing your sex life and learn how to relate to that differently. There's so many things that you can do that is like beyond the black and white. Like we just don't want to have sex. Right. Right. Or just like, um, if like, I, I find this a lot in early relationships where uh i guess in in heterosexual relationships where women will will fake enjoy sex uh, mm-hmm. even though they kind of know deep down that it's not like amazing mm-hmm. and they w- but but because everything else checks out right uh i call this like a resume boyfriend <laughs> everything else checks out like such a great person mm-hmm. um, you know uh good emotional intelligence, financially stable, all of these other things, um, but not the sex. Right. What do you, what do you think about that? Um, I do have a little, like, I do these little mini guides throughout the book. And one of them is called orgasms aren't faked for no dang reason. (laughs) And it goes along with a larger part of the book that talks about disappointing our lovers and how a lot of the times the reasons why we don't speak up about what we want, we don't set boundaries that we want to have, or we don't ask for things we desire is because we're worried about disappointing our partner. And there are so many ways that we can move through that disappointment. And it does tie into a lot of these things that you were talking about before, right? Shame. Mm -hmm. Why are orgasms being fake? It's not just because I feel like faking it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there's all of these systemic issues that are baked into that, especially when you're talking about sexuality and gender, right? Like I'm being taught that like, to help my man feel confident and capable. And like, he wants to be in this relationship with me. I have to be pleasable and sort of like easygoing and provide this orgasm. There's also some shame that's built in with women knowing how they want to have sex, right? Like we're not supposed to know too much. Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to know too little. 
Yeah, there's like some Goldilocks yeah. balance that we're <laughs> supposed to hit. And like, then if you're thinking about relational commitment, we run into the Madonna whore issue, right? Where it's like the Madonna raises your children and folds your clothes. The whore is somebody that you really want to have sex with or whatever. And it's like interesting and sexy. And in reality, most people have a bunch of different elements of who they are in their sexuality in one person. And so how do we, yeah. (laughs) And then I also think faking pleasure has been a way for people to feel safe, right? Like if I speak up about this, I might feel unsafe, maybe not in a way where I like think you're going to hurt me, but maybe in a, a different sort of more nuanced relational way. Like how do I get out of this experience? Like how do I stop this? How do I, whatever, keep the peace in my relationship? I don't know how to have this conflict. So I think there's a lot of reasons why orgasms are fake. And I totally understand why on social media, we hear a lot of like, don't fake the orgasm or they're never going to learn. And I agree with that as well. But I do think that there are a lot of faked in bigger components to fake pleasure. Totally. Yeah. Uh, This is what you just shared is very insightful. And I really like when you were talking about how we are, we're afraid to disappoint, Mm -hmm. right? Um, because of course, achievements is celebrated in society and disappointment and being, um, unwhole or, you know, isn't so, but how, what's, what would be your advice for first step into, um, into the journey of being unafraid of disappointing our partner? Yeah. I mean, I think, so I feel like there's two components to this because this is relational. And the book does tackle both sides of this cycle. So one side of the cycle is me. How do I get okay with disappointing my lover? Mm -hmm. So part of it is self-worth, right? Like I deserve to have my boundaries intact. I deserve to be able to talk about my pleasure. I deserve to have my pleasure. Mm -hmm. So like correcting somebody or teaching them how to touch me in a way that feels good to me is something that is important that I deserve. And so I want to talk about this and I feel like it's okay for me to talk about this and I feel entitled to talk about it because the point of my sex life is to experience mutual pleasure with somebody. Okay. So shifting the narrative um, within you related to self-worth and building up that self-worth part. Right. I'm not giving this orgasm as a gift to my partner to help their ego right? Like I am here to have a co-created experience of pleasure. That's real. Yes. Oh, another IG real moment. (laughs) (laughs) Dropping truth bombs. That's what I'm here for. Co-created experience of pleasure. That's real. Yes. So the other part of this cycle is how do I receive feedback from my partners? Mm. Right. So there's a whole chapter in the book called how to handle no, like a pro. And that is all about how do we deal with the feelings, the very understandable feelings of rejection and inadequacy that we might feel if a partner says, I don't like what you're doing, not like that. Can you do something else? Can we figure out a different way? I think it's very normal and natural to be like, oh no, like you're saying, right? Like we have a culture built on competition and achievement and sex is a big part of that, being good at sex traditionally is set up like I know how to do all these moves and I'm going to do them on you you're going to feel really good and I'm going to feel achieved yeah rather than this is a joint project my body is different than the other people that you've been with or I experience pleasure in different ways and so we're going to have to figure this out 
And sometimes we might not get it right. And we should talk about that. It's not about you as a person, Mm -hmm. right? You're not bad or wrong or like bad at, I don't know, whatever. We're just having a process. Mm. Love that. It's, I mean, with a new partner every time, it's like a brand new territory. Like Mm -hmm. you don't know, you you can't really, I mean, maybe you can like 20%. (laughs) <laughs> take your like previous experience and and skills skill building into the current experience mm-hmm. but I, but a lot of it will be learning together right totally yeah and in the first part of the book i wrote uh, i believe it's like maybe one maybe two chapters about this idea of good sex like what constitutes good sex mm-hmm. and so like you're saying like it might be 20% like i know anatomy i know about sexual anatomy I know about SDIs. I know how to use this vibrator. I know what it's for, right? Like a lot of that stuff that's book knowledge is valuable. Right. But if I can't show up to an experience and know how to ask good questions, how to receive feedback, how to co-create a pleasurable experience, how to make adjustments, how to listen, how to build a place in our sex life for consent and conversation and safety and like comfort. And again, that can happen on a one night stand that can happen on your like 10,000th night with the same person. If I can't do those relational skills, then the sex that we're having isn't going to be that good. In my opinion, if I'm only coming over here armed with, I know how to use this vibrator. I know how to do this position. That's not enough. It has to be both. Mm -hmm. 100%. Oh, vibrators. My favorite. (laughs) <laughs> oh, in the book there is a chapter called um pleasure pessimism mm-hmm. so what's pleasure pessimism yeah pleasure pessimism is something that i feel like we've sort of been talking about it almost this whole time right which is like how do we internalize these messages like we have so many messages from so many sources about what sex is supposed to be and who we're supposed to be inside of sex that we don't give ourselves the optimistic viewpoint that we can have the pleasure that we want. So pleasure pessimism can often look like this is just the way it is. Or like, I just have to deal with the sex that I'm having. I should feel lucky that my partner even like goes down on me for 10 minutes. And that kind of stops us from being able to broaden our goals and hopes for our sex life. And it also kind of creates this pattern of thinking and this pattern of belief system that holds us in a place that isn't all about authentic pleasure and asking for what we want. And so then we stop asking. So like if my belief is that my partner is bored going down on me and so I need to hurry up, like I don't have an orgasm fast enough. So I'm going to pivot the sex acts after 10 minutes. I'm going to be like, oh, that's enough. You know, even though yeah, I want okay. more, right. I feel self-conscious. I'm taking too long. I'm sure you've heard this from people before. I that felt it before. Fear, totally. Yeah. That fear. You're like, I'm taking too long. I'm taking yeah. too long. And that, and, but that's based on a belief. Right, and like the right. belief is that like people don't like going down on people or the belief might be my partner's bored or the belief might be like, you're saying this doesn't count as sex. Let's get to the real sex already. And if we can undo those beliefs, it's going to lead to feeling differently about our sex lives. It's going to lead us to asking for different things, behaving in different ways, relaxing while you're getting eaten out for 30 minutes, right, <laughs> you know, like exactly. there's this ripple effect. And so that ripple effect of like the pessimistic thoughts, beliefs, actions 
that's kind of what I bundle into what pleasure pessimism looks like. And in the book, we work through how to like take that apart and build a more pleasure optimistic viewpoint so that you can kind of move about the cabin a little easier. Mm -hmm. Wow. In a way, pleasure pessimism kills your happiness. Mm -hmm. Pleasure pessimism really kills your happiness. I mean, if you're so limited and in a way, because of that limitation, you're so scared Mm -hmm. and uncomfortable and restricted and um, you're in this little box and you're walking on eggshells. that must not be good for your uh, health, physical health. Right. <clears throat> um, I know that research shows sexual dissatisfaction contributes to um, lower level of physical health wellness. Hmm. Um, so like heart diseases and like there's other, a couple of other things that they measure it um, against that are like biomarkers, which is so interesting because hmm. people don't think of, people think of sex as a bonus. Um, some people think of sex mm-hmm. as a bonus. They don't think like sex is integral to a person's like holistic wellness. Totally. Um, yeah. I, I tell my clients a lot, right? Yeah. That like your sex life isn't just like an island off the coast of your real life. It is your real life. <laughs> I love that. Your sex life isn't Hawaii. No. <laughs> it's and California. Like, yeah. And like, it's part of it, you know, like it does like, and like you're saying, right? Like it influences your health and your wellness and your mental yeah. well-being. And on the flip side, your health, your wellness, your mental well-being, the state of your relationship, how you communicate together outside of sex, all of that influences your sex life. Yeah. 100%. So when I have clients come in and they're like, oh, we just need a few sessions to hammer out the sex drive difference. I'm like, okay, what's actually going on? Right. <laughs> you know, like Exactly. There's so many layers to this and it's, I would love to guarantee three sessions and like, you're good to go. That would be a great business model, but that's just not how it is. Yeah. What if you're like <laughs> three sessions for this much for to solve all problems? Like yeah. no way. sometimes like sometimes in your, in your third session and bam, a new trauma has mm-hmm. manifested or they finally decided to share like, Oh, well there was that time where like Sophie you know, cheated on me for that one night, but I already forgave her and forgot about it already. Like, right. like whoa, let's, uh, let's talk right, more. Right. Um, that's so interesting. Uh, so we were talking about pleasure, pessimism and how like, mm-hmm. that's really kind of, to me, I feel like that's the opposite of being curious and wanting to discover things. So, uh, what are some ways people can discover what they truly want? Mm. Yeah, I find that for clients, I get a lot of clients that are like, yeah, asking for what I want and being more adventurous or curious in my sex life is something I'm really into. But I just like don't know what I even want. Right? Like they get kind of stumped in this place where they're like, okay, like I don't know what to ask for. And it's a lot of like when you think about our examples of sex, we get a lot of mainstream porn that has a lot of things that go on there, which could be great inspiration, but might not be realistic for your body or your relationship or your situation. Like I always like to tell people, like, I don't know if you've ever tried to have sex in the shower with stilettos on, but it's not as easy <laughs> as <laughs> some performances make it look And those oh people, you know, they can have multiple takes. They have conversations about how this is going to work. Maybe they've had practice, you know, whatever. And they're pros. They're pros. And that's what entertainment is for. Great. 
Um, or we kind of get this like PG 13 version where we're like simultaneously having like this vaguely suggestive orgasm. And then we're wearing a little sheet dress. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that look. Yep. It's so like we don't early 2000s movies. <laughs> totally. So, and I, I reference that a lot because my sexual coming of age was in the early 2000s. So those were like the examples that I had. Mm-hmm. And so we don't get a lot of great examples of what a rich, satisfying, curious, very human sexual exploration can look like. And so we're kind of stumped. A lot of people will internalize that like there's something wrong with them rather than looking at the various things that have contributed to that cycle. So in the book, there's like this extensive yes, no, maybe list, which is essentially just a sex and sexuality menu. And I find it very helpful to have a menu because like, if you think about this, like, yeah, like if you're like, what do I want to eat? I can come up with like a couple of ideas of like the standard things that I like to eat. Right. So I'd be like, I don't know, tacos, you know, but I could, I could default to tacos every day, all day. But like, if I'm looking to be curious and explore, an explorative, exploratory, uh-huh. I might go to a restaurant and have this menu of things that I've never seen before that I'm like, oh, that sounds good. And then I try it and then I can decide, do I like it? Do I not like it? Do I like parts of it? Maybe my partner always orders the same thing off this new restaurant. And it's like, this is really good. You should try it. And I'll be like, cool. I trust your opinion. Let me try that. And I think that this is true about sex too. It's like, if we don't know what's available, it's hard to know if we're going to be intrigued. Mm. And I also think in the conversation about consent, we're taught a lot about enthusiasm. Like you should always have enthusiastic consent. And I like to remind my clients that you can also enthusiastically consent to trying something out. Mm -hmm. So like if someone's like, Hey, do you want to try this sex wing that I got? Mm -hmm. I might be like, yeah, I'm totally into trying that. Like, am I going to like being suspended in the air while we have sex? I don't know. <laughs> but like, we have a relationship where I know that if it's not going well, I can change or make adjustments. Mm. Yeah. So I'm enthusiastically curious. Yeah. And, and setting up the relationship to even have that conversation. I feel like uh, a lot of maybe couples that are currently in their um, late 30s or 40s, Uh, or 50s may feel like they're stuck in their uh, traditional sexual and relational scripts Mm. where it's always been this way Mm -hmm. like I don't even know how to pivot to that like curious playful explorative like mindset Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, what's I love I mean I love talking about being playful because I'm I'm a playful person in general Mm -hmm. and I make a lot of posts about being playful outside the bedroom because for me that's my biggest factor that's transferring the energy into the bedroom for me Mm -hmm. is that we keep the play kind of going even though like there are stressful times of course like people question if I'm ever stressed I'm like bitch I do (laughs) I'm stressed trust Uh uh-huh like a like a a modern uh, American human being but um, Mm -hmm. I love the little little pieces of play in my life. Um, what would be a sex therapist advice to a couple that is very, I guess, for the lack of a better word, uptight? <laughs> yeah, because they um, are. <laughs> I think like like what you're saying, right? Like you really like having this element of play. I love to tell my clients that like you have the power to set the tone, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait for your partner to introduce play. You can set that tone, right? Where you can be like, 
or like a beginning a relationship. My personal tone that I've talked about to people is extremely blunt. I like to be blunt and I like to communicate. So like that might look like, hey, like, do you want to talk about the kinds of sex that you want to have together? (laughs) Right? Like before we have it. Um, And for the most part, people are receptive to that. And if they're not receptive, then we have a compatibility test Mm -hmm. about whether or not we should become partners. When I'm working with couples that are entrenched in their routines, a lot of the time, them even coming into therapy is a way of jostling that gridlock, right? Because they're coming into a place where they're like, here we are, we're here to talk about our sex life. And for a lot of people, that's a big first step. Yes. Uh, I love that because I, first, for the longest time, because I'm, I'm originally from Thailand and like, in Thai culture, people don't go see a therapist for anything. Not mm-hmm. not even like a regular therapist or any kind of therapist, uh, let alone sex therapist, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stigma with going to therapy. Um, so it took me a long time to even see a regular therapist, just mm-hmm. like talking about my childhood and my stress and work and stuff like that. And then, you know, recommending sex therapy to my clients, to my friends, to my students, to the people around me that like, you should, you should probably see a sex therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and they're like, oh no, like, <laughs> no, I, I, how would I even bring that up? Uh, how, how would you answer that question? How to bring up one person therapist? is like, I know we have an, a problem. Mm-hmm. And you know, a friend like me goes, you should see a sex therapist. And mm. my friend goes, oh, no, I don't even know how to bring that up with Bill. Like, what would you right. say? I mean, I tell people like oh, my individual clients, for example, I tell them to use me as the excuse. So like if you were to say to a friend like, hey, I feel like you should see a sex therapist, your friend might be like, oh, I was talking today and so and so told me that we should see a sex therapist. Like, what do you think <laughs> about that? Or it can be like, oh, you know, uh, Yana and her partner just started going to sex therapy and said it was really helpful and like start this conversation about sex therapy. Yeah. So like, this is what I like to call, and I also read about this in the book. <laughs> Basically, I wrote about everything I could possibly think of in the first book. <laughs> so long. Um, but it's called like talking about talking about the thing. So like, if <laughs> yeah. you're not ready to talk about sex therapy yet, Talk about talking about sex therapy, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Whether that. that's like an article or listening to this podcast or whatever, like talk about the concept of like what that thing might be like before bringing it up as an idea. Cause then you can kind of get a temperature check yes. on like, what does your partner actually think about this? How open are they to it? When I have individual clients and they want to address their sex life with a standing partner, I always tell them, throw me under the bus. Be like, I was talking to Yana today. She said that we should try to do this yes, no, maybe list about sexual desires to see if there's anything that we're missing that we might want to try. Are you open to doing that? Yes. yes. That's like the opening because then you can kind of deflect. Yeah. Like it's not my idea. It's Yana's idea. (laughs) You know, I was just talking to her and then she's like, you should do this list. And I don't know, maybe we should. (laughs) (laughs) But I just like whatever it takes to sort of broach the topic, I feel like gets the ball rolling. And I think people are like, I think sometimes people will say like, you shouldn't talk about your relationship over text, but sometimes broaching the subject over text feels safer and more accessible. And I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like 
quote unquote, blaming the idea of sex therapy on a podcast you listen to, it's okay, right? Like if you're opening the door to communication in a way that feels comfortable, like, okay. Yes. Like, should all of your relationship conflict be blamed on other people? No. (laughs) But like, (laughs) if you need a little help, a little boost, I think it's okay. Yes, I totally agree. Definitely uh, blame it on my podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Listen to this. Really want to try sex therapy. Uh, So my before my last question, we were going to talk about sexual um, desire discrepancy. But I feel uh like we talked about that already when when you were talking about that, like fixed mindset or like pleasure pessimism of like, well, I'm a low sex drive person. He's a high sex person. We yeah, there are. There's a whole chapter about desire discrepancy in the book. Um, there is worksheets to do. There's specific suggestions. I think like if I had to give the short version, it would be to really work on externalizing the problem, teaming up against the cycle in the relationship rather than taking it on as about me or about my partner, because that'll really help reduce blame. And it puts you on the same team. I love that. That's a great uh, little um, succinct advice. (laughs) It is not me versus you. Right. And I think people get set up that way. Yes, they Mm. do. They do. It's like, oh, my wife never wants to have sex. Right. It's like low desire, high desire, kinky, vanilla, monogamous, non-monogamous. And I think actually people are more flexible and on more of a spectrum than that. Yeah. Give yourself more credit. Yes. You can totally do it. Okay, my last question. Okay. So for you as a sex therapist, what's the most shocking thing you've learned from being a sex therapist? Shocking, like the topic someone has brought up or just like shocking life lesson? Either way. Well, I always tell my clients this. I'm extremely hard to shock. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard a lot of things. I think mostly, I wouldn't, I don't know if this is shocking so much as it is impactful, which is that people are capable of so much change and so much personal growth in their sex life if you just give them a safe space to talk about it. Beautiful. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) That was a Nigerian again. (laughs) you're you're giving me all kinds of uh, little clips like okay yeah that's what I'm here to do (laughs) Uh, I love that okay that was a such a good way to end our conversation but before I can let you go I have to ask for your consent to play this game with me called 10 quickies with Dr. Tara I'm so excited okay all right so I'm gonna give you a word and you just give me a response back oh my god I'm so scared okay just (laughs) one word back um, one word, one sentence, a couple of okay. sentences, whatever feels comfortable. All right. I'm going to try to be succinct. Okay. <laughs> Number one, missionary sex. Not as boring as people think. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, educational porn. Important. Number three, one night stand. Uh, <laughs> uh, Casual doesn't have to be careless. Mm, that's true. Doesn't have to be careless. Shouldn't be careless. Shouldn't be careless. Uh, Treat it like a real relationship, even though yeah, it's Yeah, yeah. Can be a great one night stand. Uh, mm-hmm. Number four. Mm, I'm really curious what you think about this. <laughs> G-spot. Um, more of an area than a spot. Love that. Number five, <laughs> cuckolding. Uh, fun. <laughs> number six, 
Oh, you would know a lot about this. Kink. Um, kink. Um, oh man, how do I be succinct about kink? You can talk about it. You can talk <laughs> about kink. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> if you're consenting adult. I think people hold a lot of shame about kink. That's true. I think so. So I think mostly with kinksters, I just want to be like, it's okay. Like, talk about it. Understand yourself. Understand your partners. You're okay. You're okay. Love it. Number <laughs> seven, uh, sex drive. Um, influenced by more contextual factors than we think. Number eight, monogamy. Um, just as valid as non-monogamy. Number nine, sexual meditation. Oh, I don't know much about this. Sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Including sex and meditation. Yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. Sounds great. Uh, number 10, sex therapy. My job. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, last words, Yana. Uh, any last words? Mm-hmm. And where can people find you? Anything about the book? Yeah, I'll just do a quick plug for my book. So it's called Hot and Unbothered, How to Think About, Talk About, and Have the Sex You Really Want. You can find it anywhere you buy books. You can find it on my website, yanatellenhicks.com, which is my name.com. I'm very much on Instagram at the underscore V spot, V like vagina. <laughs> I'm going to be posting tour dates, readings, virtual events, etc., on my social media soon. And yeah, I guess last words is just keep talking about sex because the more we talk about it, the less shame we feel, the better sex we have, the better the world, I think. The better the world. I agree. <laughs> I com- I'm, on, I'm on this train with you. Yay. <laughs> thank you so much, Yana. Thank you. And thank you, my Love Bites fam, for listening to this whole episode. I bet you've learned a lot. Let me know what you've learned. DM me with questions. I love hearing from you. And per usual, have an orgasmic day. Are you looking to take sexual pleasure to a whole new level? Bijou Indiscrets provides a variety of ways to enhance your sex life. From pleasurable sex toys, erotic accessories, and intimate products, Bijou Indiscrets is sure to have just what you need. Check out their slow sex line for unique products that will enhance your foreplay, like nipple play gel and clitoral balm. Check out the link in the show notes and use code LOVEBITES20 for 20% off at checkout. Have an orgasmic play. Thanks for listening. This was was Love Bites. Love Bites. By Dr. Tara. Follow Dr. Tara on social media at lovebites.co. Have an orgasmic day.